Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Urvashi Bhatnagar. She's a mission-driven strategist with extensive experience in healthcare consulting and advocacy. Urvashi's international public health work in India and her domestic impact on population health have led her to believe in the importance of investing in social and environmental determinants of health for global total wellness. Urvashi holds an MBA from the Yale School of Management with a focus on sustainability in healthcare and a doctor of physical therapy and orthopedics from Boston University. She's a sort after expert and regularly serves as a strategic advisor and board member for healthcare firms and startups she has also co-authored amazon's best selling book the sustainability scorecard hi urvashi welcome to women to women podcast hi thanks for having me so you have a doctorate in physical therapy so let's start there yeah absolutely was it something you had aspired always or is that something that kind of evolved over the years based on you know what you liked and your passion and it kind of led you to there. Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. Well, there were a few things. One is, well, when I was growing up, I actually had an accident um that involved my hand and it was quite serious. I was injured when I was 5. Um and by the time I was 12, I had had like seven or eight surgeries and a very extensive physical therapy to recover the use of my hand, which was paralyzed. And I actually ended up recovering entire use of my hand, apart from just a few minor things that I'm not able to do and absolutely ask my husband to <laughs> do those boring things, those boring chores and <laughs> cite my functional inability to accomplish. But um, jokes aside, um, I'm really, really grateful for the medical care that I had. Um, and I think really early on, I was exposed to not only one on one visits with the physician, but I would say an entire care team and the entire ecosystem that it takes in order to achieve an optimal or the best outcome possible for a patient that involved not just, you know, the doctor and the, the medical team, but I was very closely aware of like insurers and, you know, it, it was such an early introduction into the healthcare system at large that, so I would say that was a pretty defining time in my life. And I was really motivated to somehow work in healthcare or positively affect patients' lives in some way. Uh, physical therapy, I would say, kind of happened to me. Um, I did my high school in India and ended up getting admitted to a physical therapy college. And I, of course, loved it. Um, I felt like I was learning a lot of the techniques and uh, that were beneficial to me with my own long-term care when I was when I was growing up. Um, and it also, like, having been a patient once in my life, I think I approached patient care with just deeper understanding and empathy for whatever my patients were going through. And I would say that that's essentially like the defining thread in my story, in my professional career, is that I've always sought to create a bigger impact and affect patient lives more positively uh, or to the best of my ability. So I would say that it wasn't physical therapy necessarily. I was searching for a way to make meaningful impact in people's lives. And physical therapy was a step in my journey for that. And as I kept going, 
and exploring. I went wherever my curiosity led me, but I think that has been the defining thread is to understand how we can reshape the system that surrounds patients uh, to positively affect their outcomes. That is so great. And uh, first of all, congratulations. You know, full use of the hand after such a, you know, major injury is miraculous. And that really inspired you to do something in the same field, which is so inspirational as well. Growing up, clearly, you know, a lot was happening in your life. Who were the people who really kept you grounded and were a huge influence on you? Yeah, absolutely. I would say my care team was phenomenal. And definitely, uh, I experienced a lot of warmth from everyone that I was surrounded by. I was very privileged and lucky to have a positive outcome, but also like a very positive patient experience along the way. And also, I would say, of course, definitely my mom was a huge influencer in my, you know, emotional development as I grew up, um, and also continues to advise me. She has uh, no background in healthcare. Uh, She's actually an artist. I always value her input. And she's been very influential through different phases of my life. So I'm hugely indebted to women and paying it forward. After this, you come and then you get a master's in business administration. So what led to that? And What really inspired you to start looking more at the business aspect of healthcare? You know, interestingly, when I was when I was studying physical therapy and also when I was practicing, I really never imagined that I would end up ever doing anything else. I would sometimes look into like other courses uh, and continuing education and things like that, because you always want to practice at the top of your license. And uh, so I always look to expand my knowledge in areas where I felt like I could improve. But I really thought that I would stay stay in that world of outpatient orthopedics and things like that and vestibular care, which I love. But that said, as my, as the clinics grew and as my responsibilities grew at that time, value-based care was new and these contracts were just starting and they definitely spoke to my professional interests and and my personal uh, values as it relates to public health. Thankfully, when I was in my undergrad, I had um, the amazing opportunity to complete an internship with a renowned surgeon in India who was called out by Bill Gates for being a, a Gates hero. Um, he runs the largest, the largest and most prominent post polio recovery program in in Asia um, and certainly in India that focuses primarily on reconstructive surgery. But having spent so much time with him uh, academically and otherwise, it was a formative period because it gave me a very deep understanding of health equity. So what we call now social determiners of health and environmental determiners of health. And we talk about this so frequently now, but these were actually part of his treatment pro- protocols. And he would look into social social determiner prescriptions and food prescriptions for patients. And these were all things that we pursued and actively checked in on patients for and they were part of the, they were just a regimented part of the protocol. And so having that background um, from my undergrad years, and at the same time, having the prominence of value based care coming up, it definitely gave me further insight into community health. And I started running community health programs and things like that very early on for outpatient clinics, uh, for post surgical patients and things like that. And and my interest kind of just grew from there, I, I ended up getting my MBA from Yale, went on to do strategy consulting at PwC and EY, 
But honestly, I would say we need more people at the 50,000 foot level that have affected care at the five foot level. And it's very important that we connect the strategies that we've made up here to how they are rolled out on the front lines. And so being able to understand that disconnect further these strategies has been what really motivated me to early on conduct, you know, community health programs, which are just a smaller version of a population health program, if you think about it, um, or, or market access as you know, a life science firm would call it essentially, or, or go further into like um, strategy consulting and the various kind of engagements we run. That's great. And that is so true, though. A lot of time, the strategy sits in its own bubble. And by the time it starts getting executed, it completely morphs into something else. So there's exactly. not much connection left. So to your point, it is just so important that what you envision actually gets executed. Absolutely. So you hire women, you mentor a lot of women, you're a big supporter of uh, women supporting other women. How did that come about? And what are some of the things that um, you focus on? I think it's apparent that there aren't enough women in STEM. And so this has always been evident. We've always known this. And there has been a focus on this, of course, more recently. But as my career has progressed and I've, as I've you know, developed competencies in data and analytics, and that's primarily the work that I do now and the kind of engagements that I'm focused on, it's apparent that how few women um, we have either in upper management or at various levels across the firm in data and analytics firms. And there isn't one firm uh, that is perfect, that has cracked the code and is doing it extremely well. There are a lot of well-meaning efforts. And I view myself as someone that is trying to do the right thing and add more value to that same conversation. Um, but a lot of this it requires action from the ground up. And so this is a lot of my focus tends to be at the grassroots level. And so mentoring women, um, hiring them, mentoring them and promoting them, I would say, are the three strategies that I focus on. And whatever that takes, usually when whenever I notice, you know, sometimes we have employee feedback surveys and things like that, my eye is usually on the questions and the responses that speak to attrition, why, whether women feel supported at work, what are some of the strategies and how can we do better by our people such that we retain women, especially women of color or diverse backgrounds, underrepresented populations um, to have a greater voice because the engagements that we do, I believe that leaders are defining the future. That's our role. And so if we don't put the strategies and put, put the tracks in place for a better future, we're just going to keep repeating those same mistakes. Speaking of mentors, did you have any mentors and how did you find them? Like, did you seek them out or it just happened by chance? Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is such a great question. I'd say on my personal board of directors, my mom is certainly a very important mentor. But that said, I have been fortunate to have great mentors throughout my career. And I'd say a really prominent mentor of mine has been my co-author, Dr. Paul Anastas. And um, interestingly, I met him when I was in business school and I really came to him with, uh, with critique of his outreach strategies to say that, you know, I think his research is phenomenal and certainly changing the world, but I wasn't hearing enough about public health messaging. I wasn't hearing enough about how sustainability was a crucial step for population health and really 
everything we talk about as it relates to social and environmental determiners and health equity needs a data-driven approach. Ultimately, all of these things roll up to sustainability, um, whether we're whether our patients are exposed to toxic chemicals from groundwater and things like that. It's really up to us to make sure that we're collecting the right data, we're tracking it, and we're framing the right solutions for our clients. And so I went off on a tangent there, but th that was my... Um, that was the critique that I went to Paul Anastas with, and he invited me to start working with him and include my perspective in his work. So I've been so fortunate to um, have published uh, with him um, some research and academic work, as well as um, my most recent book. But I would say that he's been a very strong professional mentor of mine to expand my perspective beyond what I would have normally been exposed to within healthcare, I think. Um uh, he's a chemist by background and very humbly says that he's a, a beakers and test tubes chemist, but he's so hugely influential in his field and such a thought leader. So I've been very fortunate to 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 be able to learn from his cross-industry perspective. So your book, you mentioned Sustainability Scorecard. So that was one of the Amazon bestsellers. Congratulations on that. That was like huge. Has anything changed after authoring the book for you? Oh, gosh. Uh, no, my 16-month-old does not think that I've done anything <laughs> worth <laughs> worth talking about, really, <laughs> except that I was late a couple times for picking him up from school. <laughs> but um, no, I think, the jokes aside, I think the most important thing has been the mainstreaming of this messaging. Certainly a lot more work is required in this field, and I'm really glad that we've reached the audience that we did, you know, Amazon has all kinds of uh, rankings. And so we didn't sell millions and millions of copies and certainly don't have the reach that Michelle Obama and incredible leaders have. But I would say that within our small world of business and economics books and uh, sustainable development books, um, I'm so glad that this unique perspective that comes from, from green chemistry and really the perspective of how are our everyday products made? How should we innovate them such that uh, we can create inherently sustainable and inherently environmentally benign and non-toxic to human beings products such that we are not passively exposed to toxic chemicals every single day um, with everything that we use? So, um, so I'm glad that more people are talking about it and reading this and thinking about it and much more work needs to be done, but I'm really grateful for, uh, for the reach that it has achieved. So you have a 16 month old. Yeah. <laughs> How was that journey for you? Motherhood, managing career? work. It's definitely been a lot. And I'll say that um, it's definitely true what they say that uh, it takes a village. I've definitely leaned on my village at this time. And I think that was a very important learning for me. And, and that's something I would, that's, that's an advice I would share for others. Um, it's something I'm still learning. I think prior to my son, Victor being born, I wasn't very good at asking for help. I certainly asked for help professionally and collaborated with my team, but I felt like I could juggle absolutely everything. I, I thought I was superwoman and I could do everything by myself. And I quickly discovered the moment that he was born that I couldn't. And so a lot of this has been about 
uh, becoming more comfortable with acknowledging that you cannot be everywhere all the time. And if you overcommit and overschedule, something has to give. Somehow with him, my priorities are automatically arranged inherently without me having to decide. He's always number one. Everything else comes later. And so it's with that focused perspective, it allows me to juggle all the other pieces to say, who can help me do ABC such that I can focus on the rest of the things? And I'll come back to him, you know, as soon as I'm done with a certain meeting or, you know, whatever, whatever has to be done at that time. But I would say the biggest learning for me has been to lean on others and to lean on the village, even professionally at my firm to to offload even more than I thought I previously wanted. And that's almost allowed me to mentor others more and to identify more leaders at the firm and further their skill sets such that they can take on more responsibility, lead more work, focus on client success, and therefore I can really focus on the critical pieces. So it's had a multitude of unexpected benefits. Great way to put it. Looking back personally, if you could change something, what would that be? Oh gosh, if I could change something. I think what I would tell myself when I was younger is that I would tell myself to be bolder. Perhaps it's a combination of how women are raised and and perhaps an unconscious bias from society that we tend to not ask for a raise as soon as a as a male counterpart would or or where we are perhaps not as decisive in certain situations or we underestimate ourselves i've certainly been guilty of all of these things the advice i would share to myself 10 years 15 years ago uh, would be to be bolder and i would still not perhaps uh, be as brash as some of uh, my average male counterparts. Along the way, did you have any naysayers? Oh, absolutely. I would say my whole sustainability journey has been uh, one of entrepreneurship and uh, defying the odds. Um, and that's another advice or learning I would share for women. When I was in business school, I had actually enrolled uh, in the healthcare track. It certainly made sense. I had an entire career in healthcare. I had a doctorate in physical therapy. I really wasn't thinking about getting into sustainability. Um, but I attended Paul Anastas's talk before my course even started, before like one MBA class. And he was talking about, you know, system level change that needed to occur, occur in our business practices and describing, for example, um, how the process of creating coffee, de- how the process of creating decaffeinated coffee actually introduces carcinogens in the coffee itself. And so if we had to innovate that process uh, such that we produce non-carcinogenic decaffeinated coffee, what would that look like? And that solution was, oddly enough, decaffeinated beans um, that therefore produce decaffeinated coffee and therefore an external system uh, or external set of chemicals is not required uh, to process those beans and introduce any kind of toxic elements into your coffee. And so I found his lecture so inspiring that I actually changed my track to sustainability. I was the only healthcare person, probably a couple of years above and below me uh, in a sustainability track surrounded by 
individuals that had no idea about healthcare except for the fact that there's no price transparency. And and we can all grumble about that all the time. It was, I was definitely in a unique setting um, and had made a unique decision. And oftentimes people would ask me how I planned to combine this sustainability thinking with my everyday work in healthcare. And I must admit that I didn't have it all figured out in the beginning. I certainly had an idea and a plan and I thought about it, but it wasn't firm. It wasn't focused. I didn't have my top three strategies ready to go with projects and uh, milestones and timelines. And it was um, it was definitely uh, at that time unformed. But I knew that my basic thesis statement would hold and continue to engage naysayers and strange bedfellows even to understand further and uncover further how the healthcare perspective could inform their solutions and how their sustainability solutions could inform healthcare perspectives for population health or even other areas outside a health system. And so all of those discussions have ultimately been extremely helpful in developing my point of view, in developing my thoughts around um you know, future projects and things like that. Um, so yes, there were certainly naysayers. I had very supportive friends and colleagues and classmates who didn't understand exactly my what my vision was and they supported me, but said, well, maybe you should think about this a little. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound uh, like a airtight strategy. But interestingly, here we are in 2022, where, um, you know, the EPA has officially named uh, Teflon as a carcinogenic substance. And we have just so much work, wherever you look in healthcare, whether you're talking about fertility and how global fertility rates are declining, but we live in a post row world, yet we're surrounded by the negative externalities of our everyday products, and even our food sources uh, that actually decrease our inherent fertility. So I mean, this is just one slice of an entire business case where um, sustainability solutions would greatly benefit human health and planetary wellness. And so um, I would say to people, engage your naysayers and engage strange bedfellows. Any brilliant idea will meet them and they you will be you will be better informed and you will have a better better understanding of your focus by engaging them. So you mentioned, you know, how fertility rates are coming down and uh, you have some personal experience there as well. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm an older mom and I had my son through IVF and, and that's how I ended up learning so much because I was curious as to, um, interestingly, when I was going through IVF, I spoke with friends from business school and otherwise uh, sharing with them my story and discovered that so many people were pursuing the same track. And that led me down another research pathway to uncover why why this is happening to so many people. And so there's certainly a lot of research around this, more work needs to be done. But it all goes, whether we focus on regulatory action and banning certain chemicals that are not productive or not good for humans or uh, human health, or you focus on, you know, sustainability strategies at firms where, you know, it's either viewed as a philanthropic 
measure or a marketing lever, inherently at the end of the day, we vote with our dollars and firms are affecting firm actions or or economic actions are affecting our everyday lives. And so we really, at the end of the day, have to look back at how our products are designed. Anyway, I, I went off on a tangent there, but essentially to say that my own journey with IVF was hugely influential in uh, in understanding not only uh, what an entire population of women are going through, but also the unique effects of all of the products that we're surrounded by and air quality and water quality and all of these very important measures that should get more focus. And it has all been really helpful in defining my professional life. And you have worked with a lot of women during your career. Do you find that there are certain mistakes that we tend to make? What are those that we can change for the better? Well, you know, I I wouldn't frame them as mistakes, but I would frame them as areas of opportunity. And I would go back to exactly what I shared earlier, to be bolder and to Uh, more proactively bring up what is not working in an entire system. Diverse talent and women leaders in particular are hugely impactful and required, uh, especially in the world of analytics, because this is a value realization um, and insights generating area and and hugely influential in leadership uh, decision making. And so the more women that we have informing firm perspectives, uh, the richer and better those decisions will be. After all, we're half of the planet. So I would just go back to what I'd shared earlier about being more proactive um, and bolder and asking for raises, asking for what you're worth, asking for things to be adjusted or asking for you know, whatever you need to be successful in the workplace versus assuming that it is something that cannot be accommodated or cannot be done within our existing environment. You like marathons, you love triathlons. Are there certain things that you have learned through those activities that you bring to your everyday life? Oh, gosh. Well, Divya, I know you love marathons and triathlons as well. So I would love your perspective. I think what I have learned is what I'd call a marathon mindset. Um, And I must say, my marathon mindset is so ingrained in me that I'm not a particularly good sprinter. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I'll say that like Simon Sinek's book, I tend to play the infinite game. And that's what I'll reference as the uh, marathon mindset, uh, taking the longer view, understanding their value is placed, trying to see the longer term value, whether it's in a professional setting or otherwise. I think uh, that has been what um, running marathons or longer races has taught me. I tend to get my best thinking done uh, and be more creative uh, when I'm running or or in the gym in general. Urushi, this was such a great conversation. Any final comments for our listeners? I would say uh, to our listeners, look at everything around you and don't passively accept everything that you're surrounded by. The voice of the customer is, or the voice of the consumer, and we're all consumers, has never been louder. And so as you think about everything you're using, start questioning whether there are any externalities of using it and what firms can do better and and bring that to to leaders um, and champion for change. Great words. Thank you so much, Urvishi. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much.